0: my public, my friends, and welcome to another edition of Coyote Calls with Mike Cherpak. That's me, your host. And before we get into talking about game one of the playoffs, I wanted to... Take a moment, uh, because I was on vacation during the series against Nashville, I just wanted to touch on that series real quick um, because there were a couple of notable things that happened in that game. And hopefully we're going to be seeing some of that carrying over, uh, maybe not in the first game um, against Colorado, but hopefully for uh, the rest of the series. So jumping back to the Nashville series, it was nice to see a couple of the uh, old boys getting on the board. And in particular, I'm a huge fan of Michael Grabner. And while I do understand the decision during the regular season to not give him as much playing time as we had seen in the previous season, I, I'm just a big fan. I'm a big fan of the work ethic. I'm a big fan of his work on the penalty kill, and of course, his beautiful goal, I believe it was the game winner, uh, first game, and uh, on the breakaway, and it was so great to see him get on the board. And another old horse was uh, Brad Richardson's series clincher. Uh, and I got to say, uh, also, On that particular goal, on Brad Richardson's goal, what a beautiful play by Henestrosa, taking that shot and deflecting the shot off of Richardson. And of course it popped right back out to him and he was able to tuck it away. That was a great play. The uh, goal, uh, no look, pretty much a no look shot and goal by Kessel. That was really nice to see, as was the phenomenal toe drag shot that went in over the shoulder by connor garland and my boy so a couple of uh, i mean there was a lot to say about that series it was great to see a postseason series win by the coyotes after a very long time i think it was eight years uh and so that was great okay let's go now to the first game yesterday against colorado what can we say? I was really kind of hoping that we were uh, lulling Colorado into a deep sleep through the first two and a half periods and then we were going to come out with a couple of big goals and it actually worked out the other way. So a couple of things you should all take note of. First of all, one of the nice things about going into the real world the current playoff format, you know, versus the qualifying round, for those of you especially that are not uh, familiar with playoff hockey, you get the best of seven series. And if you think you're going to sweep your way to a cup, it's not going to happen. And so you're going to lose games here or there, and you have to try and use those losses as a way of uh, booing yourself. Boying yourself to uh, the next victory. And we have to hope for that to be the case because it really looked like the Coyotes were asleep through most of the game. I'm going to just, I've said this before. I'm going to say it again with, um, you know, just a caveat that you can't depend on officiating to win or lose a game. But the officiating was absolutely horrible in that first game, a couple of points to make on that because I know you're not supposed to blame referees and I'm not going to, I'm gonna touch on it and then we're gonna talk about the uh, bad start by the Coyotes, but touching on the officiating in that game, there's a couple of ways to call a game. I've, I've done my share of refereeing and there's a couple of games for you to call, a couple of ways for you to call a game. Number one, you can call every little Thing consistently on both teams. You hook, you hold, you uh, you uh, high stick. No matter what, you make the call every single time. Parade to the penalty box. That's one way to do it. The other way to do it is you don't call anything. <clears throat> you let the players dictate the play, and unless it's something that is blatant and especially something that is leading to a scoring opportunity, then you make those calls. Okay, so for example, um, you interfere with a player in order to spring another player who has the puck into a possible scoring opportunity. Okay, so you're going to have to make that call because it's not fair to the defensive team and vice versa. If somebody is coming in across the blue line and he's got a clear lane to the net and you trip him as he goes across the blue line, you you know, you got to call that. But if you're going to be consistent, that's the key. And and so you can't go through an entire game not making calls, especially slaps upside the head with a stick, uh, which clipped Hinnestroza right before the fateful phantom interference call. By the way, not the first time that uh, Stepan has had this call made against him. And I got to wonder if somebody at some point has said something uh, not necessarily to the officials, but within the officiating crew because, I mean, that was about as phantom a interference call as I have seen in all the years that I've been watching and playing hockey. And, uh, you know, so you miss the high sticking against Henestroza, then you make a phantom call on the interference against Stepan, and now, boom, there's your go-ahead goal and at that point i think what eight minutes maybe left in the game zero zero tie how in the world do you justify making that call and officials are a team of their own you know it's not like they get done with the game go into the dressing room change into their civilian clothes go out for a drink and forget about it You know, they're sitting there, they're looking at tape, they're watching how they called the game, and how do you feel after making that call? And hockey's a bang-bang type sport, and so you make those calls the way you see them, but when they absolutely lead to the decision as far as winning or losing the game, that's gotta feel like crap for the officials after the game. Okay. Enough said about that. Uh, that's never going away. People are always going to be able to blame the officials for winning or losing a game. But let's talk about the incredibly slow, lethargic, pitiful showing that the Arizona Coyotes came out with in their first best of seven playoff series since 2012. I mean, it was it was disheartening. As a fan, you get so excited leading up to that puck drop. And I would say maybe five good minutes out of the entire first period, no forecheck, lots of one and done. Dump the puck in, get it on it. And, you know, let's talk about what the Coyotes are known for, the way their offense works is you dump the puck in, you get two, sometimes three guys on it. You keep possession in the offensive zone, get it back to the point and start making things happen. I, I never saw more than one guy on the puck for the first two periods of play. They would dump it in. One guy would go It almost looked like... Um, It was going to be the strategy was going to be to frustrate the Colorado Avalanche team by allowing them 20, 30, 40 shots on goal and not letting them score and then boom scoring a goal in the last five minutes of the game. I mean, if that was the strategy, you're not going to get out of the first round. That is just the way that it is. Postseason hockey, it's not going to work that way. Kemper was incredible. You know, I mean, I'm sure he wanted one, maybe two of the three goals back, but really he was just left hung out to dry by the coaching staff as well as by the players. I I mean, I just don't know what they were thinking. You have got to come out with more energy than that. You have got to come out with more conviction than that. You have got to come out. We were just getting beat up, all up and down the ice. Back in the old days, there used to be a saying, It was either the Philadelphia Flyers, but I believe it was the Boston Bruins, used to say back in the 70s, if we can beat you in the alley, we can beat you on the ice. And you want to know what? The Coyotes were beaten both in the alley and on the ice in that first game. I'm looking back and trying to think of some positives, something to kind of pick your spirits up and make you go, it's okay, it's okay. But really, the only thing that I can say is that it's a long series. You know, Colorado's got to win three more games without letting the Coyotes back into it. And as I said at the beginning of the podcast, it's not going to happen. The Coyotes are going to pick up a game. The important thing is if they can pick up the game tomorrow, game two, because you've got to be able to come out with a stronger effort than what you saw. With that said, I'm gonna mention that even though, you know, these, they are playing home and away games. Even though there's no fans and all the games are being played in Edmonton, when you have a home or away game, it means that your coaching staff gets to make the last changes as far as personnel. So you get the matchups that you want, on the ice at the drop of the puck. Face-off wins, uh, who you have on the ice covering other guys. Do you need to immediately after a face-off get a line of guys off the ice because it doesn't match up well with what the other team has? And, And that's hard, that's really hard. So if you look at it as home and away games, you got two away, two at home and so don't be surprised if the coyotes come out with a better effort than they had in game one but a same result it's hard to win away games in the playoffs the opposing coaching staff they're only worried about one team and that's you it's not like they're gearing up for a different team every other night so based on what they've seen all season long based on film Based on what they saw in Game One, Colorado is going to be making some adjustments and well as well, and so look for them to come out strong and fast. We have to match that intensity. We're going to take a break. We'll be right back. looking For an exciting non stop non contact sport utilizing many of the strategies of hockey, you have got to try out the new sport of sabaki ball. You can get more information about sabaki ball at sabaki ball.com. That's sabaki ball.com. Okay, here we go again, a short segment here to fill the air. And uh, let's talk a little bit about what needs to happen other than the intensity. Um, You know, waking up, smelling the coffee, showing up for the game would be good. I have friends, family, and fans around the nation. And every once in a while, I'll get an email or a text. And, you know, calling me a homer, that I tend to see the Arizona Coyotes through rose-colored glasses. And so the first eight minutes of this podcast should have shown you that that's not true. I do look for the positives, but I also do recognize the negatives after each game. And so a couple of things that we need to see happening here in game two. First of all, When you have limited opportunities on the power play, and especially in a game where defensively things are going well, your goaltending is showing up, you're holding the other team to zero goals. Tons of shots, but zero goals. You have got to work that power play. When you get the opportunity to have the man advantage, you have got to do a better job of creating pressure in the offensive zone keeping the play in the offensive zone, and putting pucks in the net. I know that a lot of people like to talk about momentum, and I totally am a fan of momentum, but it doesn't help to create momentum on the power play if time and time again, you're unable to score. I've said this before, and I'll say it again. When the opposing team, recognizes that you are struggling on your power play, they will take liberties. They will hook. They will hold. They will play a rougher game because they're not afraid of giving up goals shorthanded. So you have to make them pay. You have to make them pay. And so the Coyotes have got to get that power play working. The other thing that needs to ha- that needs to happen is we need to block shots. Something that happened in the first series against the uh, Predators, they were blocking so many shots. And you could see the frustration level build on the bench of the Arizona Coyotes. You're, you're taking so many shots and you're not registering any on goal because guys are putting their bodies in front of those shots. So it, it's something that not only offensively do you have to figure out a way around, but you have to be able to respond defensively as well. You are not going to have a lot of success when you're allowing the opposition to put 38, 40, 42 shots on goal every game. I mean, you just can't do it. Where was the defense? And I don't mean just the defense personnel, but where are those uh, front three guys clearing the zone getting the puck up the zone uh getting the puck up the ice and keeping the number of shots on Kemper down because as of right now it looks like we're riding that horse all the way to the end I mean what are you going to do put Hill in and you're going to have to I guess at some point especially if you're allowing 40 shots on goal per game now if you're long in the tooth like i am and you remember the uh 2012 playoffs and how we rode mike smith through the whole thing and he played phenomenal in that series but you know it's not a regular occurrence that you're going to be able to do that at some point either you have to give your goalie an easy game and an easy game meaning meaning left less than 30 shots on goal um or giving him a good lead early in the game, okay, you know, getting up like we did against Nashville, getting up 2-3, nothing, 4-1, um, giving, giving your goalie that kind of room to breathe, allowing him to be able to feel comfortable if he makes a mistake, that kind of stuff goes a long way when you're expecting the same goaltender in between the pipes every single game. So we have to do more to help, both defensively blocking shots and offensively getting the shots through the defense and on goal and putting the puck in the net. There was not one single player I thought that stood out to me in game one. And again, as I've said before, the way I keep track of this is, you know, I call out as I'm watching the game, you know, nice play, Vinny, nice play, Connor, you know, nice play... Uh, ekman Larson, I I, I kind of call these things out, and based on the number of times that I'm repeating somebody's name, it kind of gives you an idea of who's who's playing well. A- and I'll tell you, it's easier for me to s- s- tell you that during the game one, there were more times that I was going Kessel. What are you doing, Keller? Come on, man. Uh, now I thought Hinojosa's energy was good, but. Decision making team wide wasn't all that great. Of course, if you're from Colorado or you're a Colorado fan, you know, got to give you your props. Uh, My brother is uh, in Chicago. He's a Blackhawks fan, and we were texting back and forth during uh, the Coyotes game, and he was like, What the heck is going on out there? And, uh, you know, I was like, Well, this is Coyotes hockey. You know, we're called one of the most boring winning teams to watch and just wait for it, wait for it, and then the wait for it never came. So keys to tomorrow's game, game two, fast start. Get out there with energy, get out there with physicality, get on the board first. Number two, block shots. Give the goaltending a little bit of a break. Try and get a two goal or more lead so that he can take his uh, time and not worry so much about blocking everything But I'll come back at you after that second game, and we'll see what happens. Good luck to the boys in game two. Let's see what we can do. Pull it out.